The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent closed-cell PE EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 144 of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm Daniel the Mano, the noise of the North. Oh, yeah, recording from the iconic Boathouse studio on Lake Sawyer. Glassy conditions most of the time. Positive vibrations all the time. Now get off the gunnel and into the boat. Hey, no matter where you are now, it's time for a little audio sunshine. Hey, and if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't left us a five-star rating and a glowing review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, all will be forgiven if you just stop what you're doing and get it done today. Positive reviews help increase the visibility of this podcast, and I'm trying to get it into as many ears as possible for the good of the sport. I also want to remind you all that in addition to listening and sharing all 144 episodes of the Golden Mike Podcast from iTunes and Apple Podcasts, we are also available on so many other free podcast listening applications for Android devices. We're on SoundCloud and our very own website, noisethenorth.com. I've been pretty active on social media lately, so go ahead and follow the Golden Mike Podcast on Facebook and my personal Instagram page at Dano T. Mano. Today we have a real special one in store for you guys. My good friend Hunter Hansen is our guest and he's here to talk all about his legendary career that has spanned over two decades and has covered just about every corner of our industry and the globe. For those who don't know Hunter, he's done it all when it comes to toad water sports. He's an accomplished show skier, both on the amateur side and professional side. He's performed literally all over the world, as you're going to hear in this episode. He's also skied at the legendary Cypress Gardens, now Legoland, as well as SeaWorld, and competed with Team USA. He's also dabbled in some amateur and professional wakeboarding, both behind the boat and under the cable, and grew up as a traditional three-event barefooter. I've also seen him rip on a kneeboard once or twice, uh, mostly under the cable. He even took me out at the quote-unquote Shuski Nationals like eight years ago. Basically, if you can ride something behind the boat or under the cable, odds are that Hunter has done it and done it at the highest level. That's just the kind of open-minded, all-around waterman that Hunter is. 
Hey, and if you are looking for the best all-around professional vinyl wrap shop specializing in commercial vehicle wraps, custom graphics, wall wraps, and boat wraps, you got to check out our friends over at Midcoast Customs, one of our newest sponsors. They're based out of Rockford, Illinois, and as 3M preferred installers, they've been leading the way in vinyl wrap installation for years Personally, I can't thank them enough for all the work they've done for this podcast and myself, Feet on Fire, and of course, Twin Lakes Corn Fest. If you guys have ever been to any of the events that I help organize, you've already seen what they can do, and you probably didn't even know it. They have an amazing attention for detail, and their work is always quality. Whether you have one car or a fleet of 100 vehicles to wrap, Jarrell and his entire team have got you covered, literally. To see more of their work and to hit them up for a quote, check them out at midcoastcustoms.com. That's M-I-D-C-O-A-S-T hyphen customs.com. All right, let's get into it with Double H, Hunter Hansen, baby. Oh, yeah. Hunter Hansen can lay claim to one of the Toad Water Sports industry's most broad careers, always revolving around or going back to the roots of show skiing. Uh, he's not a stuntman. He's a show skier from Wisconsin, turned semi-pro wakeboarder, professional wakeboarder, professional show skier, world traveler, national and world wakeboard champion, a professional judge, and now he is here on the Golden Mike podcast to discuss it all. What's up, Hunter? Thanks for the introduction, Dano. How you doing? Hunter, you and I come from some similar backgrounds. We both started show skiing in Wisconsin. We both moved to Florida around 20 years old or so to yeah. pursue a career in towed water sports. Um, maybe professionally it worked out for you. Um, Athletic-wise, it didn't work out for <laughs> me, of course. Um, you know, I've had lots of luck uh, aside from that within the industry. But um, I, think it's re- I think you have a really cool story because – a lot of people in the toad water sports industry only touch on one thing, whether they're a wakeboarder or a three eventer or a show skier or a kneeboarder, but they don't really broaden out and touch so many different aspects of the sport. And you haven't just um, branched out and touched one or two aspects of the sport. You are um, you're a guy who's been all over the sport. So I want to I want to talk all about it. Um, I want to start out with. Um, who you are, where you're from, how you got all started with this whole thing. So um, a little introduction, if you would. Yeah, I uh, like you said, we both grew up in Wisconsin. We were on uh, competitive uh, show ski teams. I was actually basically born into it. My father, he was on. Uh, I was on a team called Eau Claire Ski Sprites. And where, where in Wisconsin is that located? Eau Claire. It's just about. An hour and a half west of Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. So way far from Chicago. Yeah, way up north. Not way up north, in the mid mid part of the state. Sure. But yeah, my dad was on the team when he was younger, so I I was growing up on that. Um, some of my earliest memories was down at the team practicing and everything like that. But I was infatuated with skiing my whole life. Like I got into barefooting at an early age. Uh, did that competitively for a while, the three-event barefoot stuff. Uh, did pretty well in that, in, like, the junior boys division, one state, like, four years in a row for a while. Uh, and then I found wakeboarding and just gave up barefooting right then and there. Did my first wakeboard tournament, stopped doing that. 
And I always kept on doing the Shosky stuff because Cypress Gardens was still going on professionally and in SeaWorld too. So I saw that I could still wakeboard and make a living also skiing at the same time, what I love. So I moved down when I was just turned 19 right after high school um, in 2003. And I started going after Cypress Gardens, which just closed actually in the spring but i decided to still come on down go for some wakeboarding i was uh just got done out of the junior pro ranks and moving up to pro see what i could do and then in 2005 cypress gardens reopened and uh i was gonna go down there did an interview didn't get it on the first time and uh just kind of put show skiing on the back burner thought about wakeboarding a little bit more and then the beginning beginning of 05 Got a call from uh, Scott DePorter, and uh, he told me they needed people down at uh, Cypress Gardens. Went down there, got a job, and been able to show ski around the world ever since. Very cool. All right, well, so let's let's go. Let's rewind. And you mentioned that your dad was a skier, and you were kind of born into it. So, and, and you talk a little bit about some of those early memories, but talk a little bit about. Um, show skiing and growing up in the in the ski club and what that was like yeah uh up in wisconsin the the show skiing community is huge and uh there's i forget how many teams up there but they're their own region it's not the mid they're not part of the midwest they're their own so it a lot of people love and live that sport up there and so growing up i was on the water seven days a week almost eight hours a day because I would go out out on my own with my friends. When you were getting into wakeboarding, if you're in third grade, I'm guessing this is probably around 1994, 1995. Yeah, 94. Okay. So wakeboarding is still, I I mean, you could argue it's still in its infancy right now, you know? Um, But I mean, there it's really um, in its infancy of what it, what it has become today. Now growing up, um, my dad wasn't the only guy. There were other people around me. And even till, even today, I still see it. Um, uh, my dad obviously is completely different now. He has no problem with it, but he wouldn't let me wakeboard. It wasn't even a treat for me to go and get a set where some of my friends, if they did something great on skis, then they would be allowed to, to wakeboard. Uh, I would have to do 10 awesome things to get one wakeboard set. Was it like that by you guys at all? No, my dad, he supported like, he just loved that my sister and myself were into skiing and so when I barefooted, he was all about that. Like he worked for a marina and he was able to bring up Mike Seipel at the time when I was in second grade and third grade and still barefooting then. And like they brought him up for the weekends to do clinics and he stayed at our house. And like, so I trained with him for a couple of weekends every spring and everything like that. And then when I switched over to wakeboarding, my, my dad looked, he just loved that I was in the water sports still. And so like wakeboarding, he knew the right people and uh, I, like he was able to get Neptune boards for me and my sister at an early age, like right as the twin tips came out after like probably 96, 97, I got a Neptune. Like that was my first twin tip board. But yeah, they, he supported me and my mom supported me whatever direction I went for skiing and anything in life, actually. As you as you grew up and wakeboarding became more important to you, um, how how also at that same time how important was was show skiing because for me and I feel like you were also very involved in going to the ski shows like for me I believe I was at least 21 or 22 before I kind of step maybe even a little older than that for me before I 
before I stepped away and kind of started taking like the Florida lifestyle and the bigger industry picture a little bit more serious. What about for you? Uh, I would say when I moved down to Florida is when I seen the bigger picture of the industry and getting out of the bubble and everything like that. So yeah, growing up up there, I'd show skiing. I, that's, I thought about that a lot during the summer. And then when there was the wakeboard tournament that I could go to, that I could try, I'd, I would concentrate on that. But then moving out down here and just seeing the whole spectrum of the water sports industry, just not one concentrate, how it all concentrated on show skiing up in like the Midwest because there wasn't really cable parks at the time and wakeboarding was still pretty new. And then coming down here and then cable parks are around. Now wake surfing's getting big. The three eventers are down here. You got the barefooters down here. So just, yeah. So, I, so when you got to Florida back in 2003, you came down here to wakeboard. I know that because I was probably one of the first people you called. Uh, I was living with, I don't know if you remember this, but the way you and me actually fully met was um, you'd call me up a, fun, uh, a few times and asked, uh, for some reason, Eric Ruck gave me, gave you my phone yeah. number <laughs> instead of his number. And uh, probably because he had just won the world championships and he'd probably had millions of people or hundreds yeah, of people. Yeah, and I, I just knew you guys from Wisconsin over the years competing at, like, I remember watching Ruck compete at the Wisconsin State Wakeboard Tournament. And then I knew Mark and everything. Mark and I competed in it. And so, yeah. Uh, well, so, I, I so, remember I was trying to call you guys to get some poles because I didn't really know anybody be, with boats. And well, I was so just riding O-Dub at the time. That's what I want to find out is, so you got down to Florida – um, what were what were the opportunities down here um, before you got here? Like what what did you know you had solidified before you got down here, or were you just taking a shot in the dark? Were you just going for it? Uh, it was a little bit of both. So in the spring of '03, uh, the first tour stop was in Altamont, and it lined up perfect with my spring break. I was. 18 in my senior year and everything and I had another buddy that was same age so him and I came down uh Cody was he's a world champion barefooter I he might still hold the jumping Cody uh Heller uh awesome inverted barefoot jumper he's been on the world team multiple times they hosted worlds at their lake moo up in uh, almost center in Wisconsin but him and I came down and he trained with Lane Bowers for a week and then I went and rode with Briscoe down in Winter Haven and then I was supposed to have a skiing interview at Cypress Gardens on Monday. Well, that Thursday before the tour happened, came back and uh, Cody turned on the news. And he's like, see what's happening with the gardens? That's when they announced that the gardens would be shutting down that Sunday. Wow, so, okay, so that's when is... every like everybody in the park found out on Thursday that Sunday the park was shutting down. So this is huge. So this is back in 2003. 2003. So the, the ski show is still going on. So I turned to Cody. I'm like, well. I guess I'm not going to do my interview on Monday. Wow. So we go uh, to the August of 03. Still want to move down because I uh, want to chase that wakeboard dream and everything like that. And uh, pack up my bags, uh, fly down. Uh, only know a couple people with boats. Uh, so I rode O-Dub for a bit. Got a job at a, a Mastercraft dealership. Met my uh, roommates, Jake Shaw and John Pagels. And we ended up getting a lake house and... Uh, uh, Winter Park on Lake, um, I forget the lake name, but uh, we were able to grab some boats from the Mastercraft dealership every once in a while and ride them, but 
it wasn't always a wakeboard boat so i'd wait up like a 197 mastercraft with like the mini tower and still try to get my tricks done and then gardens reopened in 2004 and so I, they were closed for a full year a full year and then kent bisher uh he owned an amusement park up in Valdosta, georgia wild avengers he bought cypress gardens in 04 they brought the show back and then like i said i went down for initial interview uh, initially didn't get the job mark voisard uh, and gary thompson didn't uh, need me at the time and then i'm like all right i'll just keep on wakeboarding and then january of 05 scott deporter gave me a call saying they're needing people need to get my butt down there came down and i've been lucky enough to ski professionally for the last 15 years talk a little bit about um uh, the, the the differences between the the being on an amateur team and being on a, a pro team um yeah uh, the differences uh some of the big differences uh people are expecting when you're a professional water skier that's all you get to do and everything but we do a lot of stuff too around just the normal maintenance like we're the ones that have to take care of the jumps and everything like that and there's some daily work that we have to do so where you're on the amateur team you just get to show up and ski and then do your stuff and go home where you, at work you show up it's a job so we'll go out and ski if it's a crappy day out we have stuff that we can do around uh, the stadium and everything and we take care of the boats make sure we do daily washes or weekly washes with them and everything like that so with that aspect it's a job so there's job duties to do it's we ultimately ski maybe an hour a day for the shows and we do have time to go out in between and do that but we also have other duties to do around there and then uh we're pretty close-knit uh i know a lot of teams are really close-knit up there but if you think of it uh an office is only certain big and so we're basically office so we're hanging out all the time it's not just at work we hang out afterwards we we do parties, we get together for Halloween, make sure we always do a 4th of July party. Um, on holidays, we do potlucks at work. So like just being really close and I've made some of my best friends working in the professional show ski industry. Um, what about um, the, the competitiveness between the pro skiers? Um, now, I, you come into a pro show and you expect that every pro can do everything, but that's not really the case. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, ge I'm guessing you've got your guys who are maybe like wakeboard specialists who come in, and but they can't maybe they've never held a pyramid or something like that. Um, and I know there, I'm assuming there's some sort of pecking order and how it goes. But talk a little bit about the the competitiveness behind the scenes and how you guys kind of deal with that spots do you want the spot like is it your goal like as a pro skier is it your goal to be the guy that skis in every show or do you want to like climb the ladder and be the guy who only has to ski every now and then and 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 the competitiveness of it all um we we generally for hiring too we try to hire an all-around skier we might get somebody that uh yeah they're a really good wakeboarder but they still can do a helicopter and their front flips are just getting started because that's honestly how i was i just made one or two front flips back in 03 before i did any in 2005 or at least that's what you wrote on your resume right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but so we try with that we 
we'll hire him on and then it's mainly the skiers urge to go out there because we're all in this because we love doing it and we like pushing ourselves so we never really find somebody that just will slack off they want to do it because to be able to be in the show and not be somebody that's riding in the boat and rolling the rope to do that you you want to push yourself so doing that i think a lot of it comes from a people there but then it comes from your peers around you and the guys they would do daily jump sets and so the new guys would be out there almost every single day with them learning just because they want to be out there and be in the four-man flip to be able to be in the show and like to be able to do a jump act and you come back and the crowd is just cheering it's it's awesome so like everybody that is in show skiing wants to have that feeling so they push themselves and we're just the veterans we're there there to like help guide them and everything and like there's guys on amateur teams that are awesome uh the boulet brothers i had a privilege skiing with them in texas and they're awesome like that uh they skied professionally for a couple of years and now they're they're down in sarasota and they're on their amateur team and they're pushing their guys and they're helping out so it's really cool seeing that too because for us in the show ski world to be a professional you don't have to be just with that team you can still be with your team that you got brought up with and like those guys doing that that's that's just cool seeing them passing the handle like that and everything and pushing the future of the sport let's talk about some of the the, the shows because you've done a lot of shows um here in, in florida texas um as well as is around the world um I don't know if you're going to be able to remember everything. Maybe you took a couple of notes, but um, can you uh, give us maybe a sample or a little yeah. uh, taste um, of what you've done? Yeah, I, I skied here in Florida um, with the Cypress Gardens from 05 to 08, and then that's when they shut down. And then spring of 2009, I went out to Texas, and I was doing SeaWorld San Antonio, Texas out there from 2009 to 2014 just for the summers. I would go back and forth. And then I did one last year in 2015. And then uh, I've been skiing with a company called Stars of Florida. Um, and they do international road shows. Plus, they also do, and we have the contract and everything for the Legoland. And they had the contract for Cypress Gardens. But yeah, I've gotten to do 26 international road shows um, with Stars of Florida. 27 i went well uh, my very first international road show was the, with the tampa bay uh show ski team my wife's uh original team i went on my first trip with them to Ibiza, spain that was me getting my first international skiing and then don bufo gave me the opportunity to start doing star stuff and my first show with him was for sir richard branson Wow. Yeah, so I went down to uh, the Virgin Islands down there and did a private show for him tell, and the tell company. Us, tell us a little bit about that and what it was. Uh, actually, because I have had, I've had uh, Tony Clarich on the show, and he actually had to sign a non-disclosure about a show that he skied in, and he couldn't actually. He told me a little <laughs> bit about it, but he'd skied for some people and basically had to keep their mouth shut. So oh, really? A cool, it was yeah. a cool opportunity yeah, to learn no, more about yours. Yeah, no, Don does a lot of shows. Stars of Florida does a lot of shows for just different events and everything. And this event happened to be uh, Virgin Mobile is for their employees and everything. And so 
Sir Richard Branson brought in some entertainment. We were the entertainment. He got, skis too, right? I, I believe so. We got to go hang out at his house and everything. That was overlooking like a cliff and everything and went body surfing. It was, it was pretty cool. So yeah, I got to go there. Uh, we do a lot. We've done a lot of shows in the Middle East. Like I got to hang out in Sharjah or Dubai. We had shows in Sharjah, but we we just stayed in Dubai. We were there for two weeks. Uh, South Korea did a couple of shows down there, down south, America and Colombia and Costa Rica and everything like that. Have you ever had to ski in any really sketchy um, situations? Uh, sketchy with uh, yeah. Water conditions, yeah. We've always had a – we're either on the ocean, uh, we're hardly on lake or a river, so we've always had a deal with, like, two-foot swells sometimes, three-foot swells. Uh, we were down in Bogota, Colombia, uh, and we are basically in their, like, central park, and there is a lake there, and uh, there is about 2,000, 3,000 kites just flying around. People are just flying. They're like hundreds of feet up in the air, and they're over the lake, and we had to carry a knife in the boat. So, like, if we had a tower, if we get caught, or, like, when the pyramid was up, we had it. There was one time we had to stand up, and we had to cut the kite line so the kite line didn't hit uh, our skiers that were built in the pyramid back there. Um, another time in uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, we skied in this H lake, and it was maybe four feet deep, so we had a jet boat. And so when we were doing pyramids, we were going a foot off of the shore, and I was on the outside, and every time we came by this one point, the water would go down, and there would be like a three-foot rock that I would ski right next to. And there was nowhere I could go, so if I got pushed out, I would hit that. Um, and then two days or a day after our show, the owner of the jet boat, he ended up putting his boat on the, the shore because there was no bank, and it was about 10 feet up on the shore just sitting there running. So that was a little sketchy one. Um, what about, um, like, armed guards? That's a crazy thing that I didn't really feel until I left the country. And I, it's only been a couple of times, but, you know, you, you get places like, the Philippines and you get play, you know, the, uh, for me, like Mexico too. And you know, you, you get out of the, you, you get off the plane going from Chicago to Orlando. You don't see guys with, um, you know, uh, machine guns hanging out at the airport, but you get out of America and it's a whole nother story. But then there have been times where I've personally been on site at events and there have been armed guards there. Yeah. And, and dude, um, you're, you're traveling to the Middle East. So I'm yeah. So there's this one story or one trip particular was uh von turkey it's uh within an hour drive of the iran and the iraq border and this was back in 2013 um so we'd always get a bus and we always have a chauffeur that drives us around um the whole team and everything and then on this occasion when we had a bus we had actual armed guard that would be on with the ak up front sitting there and we were going to go and uh, we did some tour, tourist stuff and we were going to see some ruins. And we were right by, uh, I think, the Iran border. But the military were doing their testing. And they're like, all right, we have, uh, we're going to be doing some bomb testing. So they stop our bus. And we were stopped for about 20 minutes. Military was cool with us. Like, when we were there, the right people are bringing us there. So we we're always getting treated nice. So we never had a problem with military. Um, but they let us take photos with their guns and everything. And then we got to see the explosion 
and whatever bomb they were testing out was pretty big because we felt like the whole bus shook and everything. But yeah, it's it's weird coming out of the airport and there's armed guards with their machine guns and then how we had them on the bus and everything like that. Um, never had a problem with them, but it it's a little eerie thinking it's other people. It's always in the back of your mind. Yeah, this is normal life for some people, so it's not normal for us, so it's always a little unsettling. But I want to go back to talking a little bit about Cypress Gardens. Cypress Gardens holds some of the um, deepest, most rich history in in our sport. Um, you can argue to say that um, what is driving the sport today, wake surfing, was started at Cypress Gardens, um, as well as some of the most talented water skiers, three eventers, show skiers, wakeboarders. Um, Cypress Gardens had its ups and downs. Um, you'd mentioned that in, in 2003 to 2004, they briefly um, shut down. Um, 2005 to 2008, they reopened and you skied there. But then um, there was another situation where Cypress Gardens went away um, and then it came back as Legoland. How long was it between um, Cypress Gardens and Legoland? But can you talk about what it was like when First of all, what it was like the first time it shut down, where everybody's heads were at. You were a little bit younger, so I'm guessing it didn't it didn't hit you as hard. But the second time that it shut down, when it was for real, for real, what that was like. Um. Yeah. the The first time, I like you said, I I had no clue, but I have some great friends that were around, and it it was devastating. Nobody saw it coming. Everybody, I guess, went in for it seemed like a normal day as a work. But uh, yeah, the second time, second time we, you could kind of see it coming because towards the end of 2008, the end of the summer of 2008, the park actually shut down to, I believe, just sat Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so it was closed the rest of the week. Um, and so we were all working part time then. And so you could kind of see it. And then eventually in November of 08, um, with circumstances that I don't know about, um, Ken Bisher had to shut down the park. I believe he had to do bankruptcy, shut down the park. And park shut down for from 08 to, I want to say, Lake of Land bought it in 2010, but it did not open its doors until until 2012. So four years of being completely shut down. Wow. I it if my facts are correct, but yeah, I want to say 10 they bought it and 12 was the first like full year the park was open. Man, insane. So what what was it like for you to get to ski in Cypress Gardens in front of that stadium? And have you ever because I watch videos. Every time I've been there, I hate to say it, I've never really seen it what I've seen from videos. I've never seen it packed shoulder to shoulder. But you've skied Memorial Days, Labor Days, Fourth of Julys. I'm, I can only assume that you've had a good handful of full shows there. What's that like to ski in front of that stadium? It's pretty cool. It's the iconic stadium of show skiing of – water skiing too because so much was developed in that show ski circle so yeah be able to do like fourth of july or uh, uh memorial day labor day crowds and we're getting those big stadiums like they used to get daily back in the 70s it's it's really cool because 
some of these people have never really seen water skiing before and this is something we get to do i get to do daily and get paid to do so yeah to be able to do that and then do meet and greets afterwards and seeing kids eyes light up like that was so cool and i don't know it's a it's a hard feeling to describe but yeah it's it's cool skiing in front of that stadium and to be able to call it home now kind of you you're a professional skier at SeaWorld, one of the most famous shows um at one point i think there was what five sea worlds um putting shows on yeah, around think, the world I believe or something. so yeah maybe more yeah um talk a little bit about how different the sea world scene was versus the um um, the Cypress Garden scene, Texas versus Florida, and then we can kind of get into the cable stuff, but talk a little bit about SeaWorld versus um, Cypress. So when I went out to Texas, I was just coming off of Cypress Gardens, and I was the young guy there, rookie. There was a lot of old veterans that were working there. Uh, when I worked at the gardens, I worked with like Jeff Schmick and Mark Voisard, Howard McCalla, these guys that have been and Ryan Welch, they've been skiing there since like the 90s and so there's a kind of some new guys in there like younger guys Nick Jackson Pete Kuhlman myself Joe Swaska um so then when I transitioned over to Texas Texas was all young like all my age and everything so just in that it was it was awesome skiing with the older guys too but then going and be able to hang out and skiing with my peers and doing what those guys got to do back in the 90s and I'm getting to do it now with my friends, it, it was a cool transition and kind of go in there for my skiing career and uh, start having a lot of fun. What about um, like stadium-wise, uh, site-wise, fan-wise? Uh, site-wise, you could always expect the water to be calm at Texas. So that was a nice thing because at one point, I want to say that Texas uh, San Antonio Lake was the world's largest swimming pool because when they first built it, I heard back in the, I think 87 was the first year, 89 or something, it ended up draining in the winter. So they had to cement it. And so it's a cement bottom, hardly getting wind in San Antonio. We were like at the highest peak. So like storms would always go around. It would always be calm. And then compared to Lake Eloise and Winter Haven for Cypress Gardens, where March, we could be getting three and a half foot swells and you could kite board out there. So the consistency, it was nice having that at Texas too. And then stadium, both stadiums are huge. Uh, Texas is one giant stadium where uh, Cypress Gardens, they had two stadiums and a lawn that you could sit in. So everybody was in one, one area, but um, yeah. I was just listening to the ski show podcast and the NSSA, the National Show Ski Association. They're still boasting numbers of close to 5,000 members. You know, that's 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 pretty impressive. Um, but 5,000 members and there's only, what, three to five professional water ski shows left in the world right now? Yeah. Uh, before this whole COVID thing, yeah, the professional ski shows we had. Uh, Stars of Florida was doing the Legoland show. We had Tommy Bartlett's. Um, and then in Australia, the SeaWorld of, uh, Australia opened up and started doing a ski show there. And then in Germany, Holiday Park, um, those were the only professional ski shows. So five, uh, five of them. What? Oh, in Texas. So what do you think are the opportunities out there for, for show skiers nowadays? Because I'm seeing a lot of my friends leave to go and 
quote unquote professionally ski is at least that's what I think they're going to do. And then they become stuntmen. Um, yeah. Stuntmen is definitely the, the way a lot of people are able to still ski a little bit, but make it uh, a decent amount of money and see the world. Um, Singapore and Japan at their universal studios does uh, a water world show and the company, I believe it's action horizon uh, stunts. They, they, they like having water skiers because there is a particular portion of their stunt where you get shot out of a cannon on a pair of jumpers behind a jet ski on a 15 foot rope. And you go from zero to like 35 in less than a half a second. And so they want people that are comfortable skiing. Then you land down and you ski in a little area. So they'd look for the water skiers in that because with water skiing, we're used to, we're adrenaline junkies. We like having fun. So it's easier to, I think, for them to then teach them how to be stuntmen. And so, yeah, that's an awesome opportunity right now for people that are looking to continue still skiing a little bit, but get a career and actually get into movies. Gotcha. So it's not just that. There's a couple of them have done movies, over 100 movies each. So, Hey, guys, I just wanted to jump in here for one second to tell you about the Wake Responsibly Initiative. I know Hunter's talking about water skiing, barefooting, and wakeboarding, but no matter what you like to do on the water, make sure you do it responsibly. I'm talking about minimizing repetitive passes, keeping music, at a reasonable level and staying at least 200 feet away from shorelines, docks, and other boaters. That makes it so you can have fun and everyone else around you can have fun as well. And be sure you guys bring those life jackets with you to the lake as well. I'm not talking about the inflatable kind you blow up with a pump either. I'm talking about the real deal. Coast Guard approved life jackets to make sure everyone on your boat, regardless of experience level, is able to stay safe and afloat. If that sounds good to you, you're good with me. Find out more by heading over to wakeresponsibly.com. Back to Hunter Hansen now. I came down to Texas in 2000, and I think it was 2012, to announce uh, a wakeboard contest called the National Points Chase, which ended up um, now has become the National Wake Park, which is cable um, wakeboarding tournament. Um, it was huge when I got there. And when I got there, I ran into my old friend, Hunter Hansen. You were there. Um, you were you were riding. You were competing. Um, I believe at that point you were competing professionally on, yeah, on cable. So, I believe so. Um, tell me a little – because I know that you did spend a little time at OWC cable riding, but it, I don't feel like you ever took cable serious. Um, and, and just spoiler alert, guys – um, in 2019, so just a year ago, Hunter and I were in Mexico together at the WWA um, Wake Park World Championships, and Hunter won um, another world title or a world title. Don't play it down. Disclaimer. Hunter. Don't play it down. I like you said, we are a little bit older. It was in the masters division. I I'm going to be turning 36, so yeah, I'm I'm riding in a little bit older division now. Not on the water a lot since I have couple kids and everything but i would argue yeah. to say that if you put some of those masters riders in front of a crowd of a thousand people they wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a masters rider or a pro and just yeah so nationals you... uh 
Cody Johnson, Code Red was in Masters. That's what I'm me. saying. Yeah. A lot of like, if you look at the Masters division in Wake Park, especially right now, which Wake Park is is cable. yeah, Wake Park's finally evolving, and now we're getting older, so we have those guys like Josh Wright and myself and Cody and those guys been in it for way longer than I have. And sure. yeah, so and the we're, now we're scene. getting the masters divisions and veterans divisions, Dale Cartwright. Yep. So, okay. So, so masters, masters division is 30 to 39 years old. Okay. Um, but I'm talking almost 10 years ago when I, when I saw you at the national points chase and when you, and when I saw you in Texas, it was like, Holy smokes, dude, you're like, you're a professional show skier, but you're also now competing professionally in wakeboarding, but in cable, because when we first met, you were trying to compete professionally in wakeboarding behind the boat, Yeah. turned professional show skier, and now you're back. Talk a little bit about the transition, how it all came about, because, and I will say this too, and I, I'm sorry to like ramble on, but I don't feel this way anymore, but for the better half of the last, I would say for the, from 2000 until about 2010-ish, um, it took it took me until I got to that national points chase to really see that cable was more than just like training wheels for, yeah. for skiing or wakeboarding. I think that's how it was a lot in the wakeboard community. Like, and I just want to. It I, wasn't for like those guys. I I just wanna I just wanna like uh, back myself up and say the reason why I thought that is because as, as a skier and growing up where I came from, even when towers were put on boats and skylines. Um, Guys, let's go back to water skiing. Back when they first put those stabilizer fins or whatever on the on on your fin, you know mm -hmm. the wing. Yeah. Originally, that was called a cheater fin. Okay, so yeah, I I used to look at like the cable, like hey, the pull is coming from so much higher. If a guy does a seven twenty off a kicker, yeah, it's gonna be a heck of a lot. You can land a seven twenty. Listen, I can land three sixties off the kicker. I'm shoe skis, you know, at the yeah. cable. Yeah. I can hardly land a ride over behind a boat on shoes. Yeah. So it, 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 you can't deny that some things are easier, but, but now cable has come into its own. Oh it's, yeah. It's, it's evolved so much what compared to 2000, maybe 2000 was the first time I rode cable. I was a freshman came down for a boat nationals rode a little bit, like you said, in Oh three. And yeah, I back in Oh three, Oh four, Oh five. Uh, I did ride it for kind of a, a training thing. Cause we'd, just got the we had rails on the tour so we'd ride there, it for the that aspect and if the lake was rough go out there i didn't really i was gonna say this you're a competitive dude no matter which way even though you like to have fun you do like to compete yeah and and i've seen it a million times i'm gonna go step off you're like okay well i'm gonna go back step off you know what i mean yeah i'm like i'm gonna go do a shoe ski tumble turn you're like okay well i'm gonna go bomb out of two skis and barefoot tumble turn <laughs> you know so um but i don't ever recall you signing up for a cable contest. No, uh, I, th I think I did a slider spectacular, like one or two, right. but it was in the advanced division. I didn't do too hot, but yeah, I never really took, I just went out there and had fun. Didn't really, didn't know about cable events. Like slider spectacular was the only one I knew about. And then I heard like hanging out with Hess and Josh Wright and Tom Fouché about how like they had cable nationals at O-Dub like in 04 or something, 03 there when I was there. And I wish I got into it back then. But yeah, so I didn't do it. And then 2008, I ended up blowing out my knee at work. Um, I was wakeboarding, hit a kicker ramp on my final pass at work and just stuck it, just destroyed my left knee. So I was on workers comp. Uh, we ended up closing the park 
I needed something to do, started shooting photos. A good buddy of mine, Andrew Prozis, is like, hey, man, McCormick's Cable Park, this park in Tampa just opened up. You should come out there. So I went out and checked it out in, like, November and shot some photos. And I just – I that's when I my itch to get back on the water really kicked in. And so then when Texas came around, when I went out there, um, Blake Hess uh, – he skied part-time with us at SeaWorld. Um, if you don't know Blake, he is the one that ultimately started National Points Chase. But at uh, TSR, where he was running it, he uh, gave a discount for the SeaWorld people to come ride and everything. So I went there and got a discount and started riding a bunch. And the guys like Cody Johnson and Tom Fouché were still there. Um, Josh Rice was still riding, so I was seeing those guys doing what they were doing. So these are like, at this point, these are the guys who, just, just for my listeners, um, and, and I'm guessing most of you guys know this, but these are the dudes who were transitioning cable from being like gymnastics-y, load-the-line tricks like that to making the cable, like making those tricks cool. Yeah, adding style to Adding it. style to those tricks as well as incorporating the rail because – at the beginning, if you, I remember going to cable contests when they first started, Splatter Spectacular being one of them, and the quote-unquote legitimate cable riders would come there, and they were bent about having to hit the rails. They did not like that rails and air tricks were yeah, incorporated into the same thing. Together, yeah. And so, yeah, seeing those guys ride, and TSR has an awesome, like, always has an awesome crew of riders there. So going there and not wanting to push my riding was kind of hard not to so i i basically spent every day so for that summer when i came out here uh, my wife now at the time she was still in florida so i was just hanging out i had nothing else to do so i'd go to the cable park every day after work and ride there until sundown and then i started doing their uh the showdowns that uh hess would do every thursday there and i rode advanced i think i did intermediate my first week and then I bumped up. I learned like a back mobe and off the water and Aspen. And I had my sevens off, like my kicker stuff was fine from my boat riding. And I did advance the rest of the year there, uh, the rest of the summer there. And I think I ended up, I might have won it or took second overall in advance or something like that. And so when I moved back to Florida, my uh, wife, Lindsay, I told Lindsay she was looking for a place. I'm like, find something by McCormick's. She was going to school at USF. So we found a place five minutes away from McCormick's. I was only doing online classes, and then I became a cable rat. Uh, the fall of 09, spring of 10, was there daily, eight hours just riding with all those guys there. That's where I met Chandler Powell um, and Billy Parker and those guys and Mike McCormick. He did, he did wonders for riding out there for me. He let me ride there a bunch. But, uh, yeah, so that's when I got really hooked on cable. And then Texas again in the summer of 2010 went back out there and i think that year that year i stayed in advanced again and same thing just was riding tsr the whole time hess gave me the opportunity to start judging so that's when i kind of started judging and uh, the monster triple crown had was doing their cable stuff so i was riding the open stuff right there so that's when i started taking it serious for the competition was that like summer of 10 and kind of since 2012, jumping back into the show ski stuff real fast here, um, uh, show skiing has been a event that has gotten its own world championships. Um, have you had the opportunity to represent um, the USA 
in show skiing yet on Team USA? Yeah, I was uh, I was lucky enough for the very first year they did uh, a world show ski tournament. Um, I was selected to be on Team USA. So, yeah, I was able to ski with that with some of my closest friends. That was pretty cool, and we ended up winning the gold that year. Actually, I believe Team USA is the current world champion. They're undefeated. Yeah, yep, yep. So, But I, I got to ask you, though, why have you decided not, or was it your decision? Have you submitted and not gotten chosen again, or did you decide to step away from it? Or uh, No, I I chose myself. Um, I I support what's going on with it. It's awesome that they're doing. Uh, I It's just for me not my cup of tea right now uh i might be getting back into the show skiing stuff like the amateur stuff and like the the local clubs now since i am having a family and everything and my daughter's getting back into it my wife's always been involved but uh yeah i i just i i like the concept it's pretty cool and everything what they're doing um i'd like to see the tournament moved around more and um not have so much regulations on like site size and everything um just from being at different sites uh if you're if you're the best of the best you can adapt and so like just stuff like that throw throw something into the mix that like a site doesn't doesn't have to be regulations um well, I know, I know for me, sometimes I go to a tournament that I'm not announcing and it's tough. It's tough to sit there and listen and be like, oh, I could say that better. Maybe, maybe I couldn't, but I think so. Maybe, yeah. You know? and, and that's the competitive side and, and you and me, like I'm, I'm the same way. If I go somewhere like, oh, I, I could go out there and do I that. I should be and, out there. Right. And, but I always enjoy, I, I only went to the one world, so I can't really say if I had that, I definitely probably would have had that if I go to the worlds and actually be a spectator and be like, uh, maybe, it, maybe I should have applied or something like that. So let's, who knows with winter Haven coming up because it's in my backyard and everything like that. But, uh, it, it's cool that there's finally a world tournament for show skiing. Um, there's, there's definitely going to be a run for the money. Um, the next year uh i was really intrigued to watch this year's because uh usa was gonna have to battle if they wanted their title yeah i i actually like the one they did in canada Be, a lot of people were bummed on it because the site was just on an open lake and there was yeah i heard water. it was a big and choppy mess i loved it and that's where the that's adapting comes to play that's my style i'm looking at this lake right now behind you hunter and it's too calm for me this is glass i'm gonna i'm gonna stand it up in this right <laughs> here man i need a challenge you know um feet on fire um it's an event that i helped kind of co-found back in 2005 and you have been a part of it ever since yeah every single one you kind of snuck your way into it because based off of what it was built for a professional show skier probably shouldn't have been. I uh, I was able to sneak in with Sneaky Pete. Yeah, Pete we, Coolman. He we, was Pete Coolman was the reason that myself and Joe Swaska got that first invite. And uh, I believe Travis Voice already came, but yeah, Pete Coolman got us in because you guys started the Clear Wake or Clear Lake Barefoot Club. 
Yes. And Pete was living up in Orlando and he was hanging out with you guys. Yeah, Pete was always with us. Yeah, so I was good friends with Pete from the Gardens days and that's that's how I was able to slip into the first one and uh yes. be and there I ever will since. Say, I will say in those days, we've changed the rules a little bit, but if you oh, did, yeah. if you did come in as a professional water skier or even a high end barefooter compared to the rest of us, um, we would level you out. Um through frosty beverage yeah was it a one or two i don't that i I don't know but again we don't condone that anymore or we don't i don't know even where my head was at we can chalk it up to being a little bit too young but the rules have changed now we wait until we finish to um we wait until we finish to because there um, is a story i do remember a particular athlete that could not make it outside or fell going outside the wake but saved his solo cup Oh yeah, well there. Uh, and, that was my good buddy Joe Swaska. And there, you know what? If you actually go on Alliance and you type in "feet on fire," you can go back and you oh know, yeah, you don't have to get the, deep yeah. into it. But there, I do recall you. Uh, this is one of the first years, and I think you'd made it into semi or quarterfinals or something like that. You made it further than I wanted you to because you were a professional skier, and I wanted to see a professional wakeboarder win it. Um, yeah, this and, was on when we had it on Kelman's dock. Yes, yes, and I made you show everybody how we do it in Wisconsin, and you took the funnel and you filled it up with a couple of, and you know, you went out there and whatever. I but, still believe I won that heat. I don't know, but because I, I think I got taken out the next round. Needless to say, every time your name has been on the roster for Feet on Fire, uh, I'll get my JD Webbs and Sean Watsons and Rucks, and it's like, just oh, they're like they'll they'll be like look at me and be like you're basically just bringing people in to beat us or whatever um yet you you have had a podium at that, feet on my fire. only one that was my best feet on fire right there so tell me what tell tell everybody a i don't little. think i've actually beat you still yeah well i didn't want to brag about it but i, I think you i think i'm over for three against you or over for two pretty much i am known for taking professional water <laughs> out. like that's what i'm that's what i'm famous for you know so um t- tell everybody a little bit about feet on fire um what uh, what makes the event different and why it's so special for you to be a part of it feet on fire it, it's fun it's just hanging out um on the lake when we first started, we'd there would be times we were out on the, the pontoons just hanging out in the middle of the lake. So you're hanging out, having a good time with your friends. And then you have the competition side where you you need to get serious for maybe a minute 30, but you need to get serious doing 40 miles an hour and only boardies and a life jacket. Um, and it's just a fun event. You never know what's going to happen. First time I saw a guy light himself on fire was at Feet on Fire. Crazy Kelman. Yeah. Yep, first and last time I've ever seen a guy light himself on, yeah. fire, on fire. What uh what 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 makes it like so special? Like why what is it about feet on fire that um drives you? Because I know obviously you want to win everything, but like Jake Ramsdell came oh, dude, out. He trained. And he he got invited he as a kid he saw feet on fire. He knew what it was all about. He got invited when we brought it back three years ago, the first year we brought it back, he did well. The next year, he did amazing. And then in 2019, he came to win, and he won. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we did, I think, three and a half laps or something like that. You went against him. Yeah, in semis. In the semifinals. So your podium, um, I mean, does that that podium stick out? Does that stand up there with, like, the world championships or any of the other? Yeah, it's cool. Uh, It's a wakeboard event, but it's barefooting so it's a unique event to to win and 
uh with me like just growing up and show skiing and i wakeboard and i had a barefoot background it would just be kind of cool to win like ron scarpa showed up last year and he was one of my idols growing up never met him and i never thought i would see him at a wakeboard barefoot event right nobody but yeah so like being up on the podium and like I think Zane took third with me. That was kind of cool. Like I looked up to Zane growing up being a wakeboarder, freestyle jumper and all that. So yeah, being on that and then just, it's a fun event. Like why not? You want to win that event just to be the best barefooter out there. Not me. I just want to get taken out in the first round, (laughs) but I always get put up against some professional show skier and I have to show him what a guy who's fat and out of shape against you. Yeah. But I also took Troy Roker out. I believe I've taken Troy Roker out twice now as well. So, you know, um, Hunter, as we, as we come down to the end here, um, you've had an insane career. You're, you're a kid from Wisconsin who had a dream. You chased, you came down to Florida, you've traveled the world. Um, you've got the medals to back it up. Is there any moment, um, in this whole thing? that that truly stands out as like your landmark moment in the sport of the years uh that's a tough one uh one that kind of stands out it's not even wakeboarding or related like that but in show skiing there's a thing um the like best jumpers it was like a 500 club consecutive 500 jumps doing without a fall in a show and that was one thing I chased for a good when I hit that mark finally in 2018. So that was a good 13 years I was trying to go for 500 jumps. That's like 500 front flips in a row. But no, just five. Uh, so it could be front flips. It could be your ride over your gainer, but it's 500 jumps in the show. So the way it works is the only way you can count it is you have to ski the show, ski in the show, and do the jump act. And when you go over, that's one jump. So, like, in a day, you could get 10, 12 jumps. But as soon as you fall, you go back down to zero. So, yeah, it took me a while. I uh, There's a lot of guys that uh, are still chasing it. And then there's some guys that got in thousands. And that's my next goal. But, yeah, I, I, I was so close. Where are you at right now? I hit 430 before, 470 before, and 496 before I hit 500 in 2018. And how long did that take you? Uh, so then the 2018, the 500, it's kind of hard to tell because I ended up blowing out my knee in um, January of 18. And so I think I was at like 100 or 200 jumps when I blew out my knee. And then I blew out my knee, rehabbed it, came back in the fall and started skiing in November. And then from November... 18 or November 17 uh, to January 18 is when I got the other 400 and then I ran that total up to 930 and I ended up falling on a ride over which is kind of sad insane man yeah and so Hunter like one of the one other question I have for you is I'm basically looking for some advice that you could maybe give to somebody, um, whether whether they're trying to go pro or just ski every day. Uh, make sure you have fun with it, um, especially now with cable parks out there. Open your horizons. If you're a 
a show skier and you can freestyle bring the wake skis or your jumpers most cable parks will let you ride those out there just broaden horizons don't don't be afraid to meet new people be inspired from other aspects different sports um for somebody that's looking to come and ski professionally just keep going uh put yourself around people that are better than you that's what helped me out is when i went and started skiing professionally i i wasn't the best one on the team anymore it, it was probably pretty humbling for yeah. you to come down to florida yeah I'm... i wasn't the best one on the team i had the uh scott deporters and the jeff schmicks and the sean newbergers and the jacksons where it's nick jackson ben jackson mark jackson um and then even the up-and-comers like my good friend joe swaska like it having people that are better than you will push you to become a better per person and better athlete all right all right hunter it's that time in the show where i like to give you the opportunity to drop what i like to call the three s's your social media your sponsors and your shout outs all right yeah my uh social media is hansen hunter uh Hanson with an O. But I want to give a big shout out to uh, my sponsors. I want to thank everybody at Liquid Force. I've been with them for about 10 years now. So all the guys at Liquid Force have been hooking me up with a uh, boat and cable gear. It's awesome. Uh, Brett at CTI. Uh, I've been through many knee surgeries and CTI is definitely the best brace out there helping me out. Um, and then Don and Linda Bufa of Stars in Florida without giving me the opportunity to travel the world and everything. Yeah. Uh, it's, I can't thank them enough. Got to see the world skiing, doing what I love. Um, and then everybody out at Jet Pilot USA. And then I want to thank Blake Hess out at TSR when he was out there. Blake was awesome, letting me ride. And, uh, of course, Mike McCormick. And then uh, I want to give a big thank you to my wife, um, She's awesome. She lets me go and play. And then uh, my two kids, Ridley and Van. But, uh, yeah, that's everybody. Very good. Awesome. Hunter, dude, thanks again for, for coming out here and doing this thing, brother. Yeah, thank you. Uh, pleasure. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go uh, rip it up. That's it. That's all. Why don't we do this thing? It's glassy out on the waters of Lake Sawyer, my friends. So for myself, I'm Dan Mano. He's Hunter I'm Hansen. Hunter Hansen. Yes. Don't go anywhere because we're going to be right back. Well, I'm going to be right back. After a quick, 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 real fast word from the sponsors right here on the Golden Mike Podcast, baby. Aw, yeah. You guys already know that SeaDeck Marine Products is the industry leader in innovative flooring solutions, supplying the best boat builders around the world with comfortable, durable, non-skid flooring systems. And it's not just for fancy new boats either, my friends. If you get a used boat that could use a little bit of a facelift, no matter what maker model it is, you can go ahead and install some Sea Deck in that bad boy to get it looking fresh again. Just head on over to SeaDeck.com and use the certified locator page to find the nearest fabricator and installer to you. They have installers all over the U.S. nation and all around the world, and they'll gladly come to your home, clubhouse, boat storage unit, locker, parking lot, under a bridge, wherever you could possibly need SeaDeck. They'll digitally measure, design, and install it at your convenience. Visit SeaDeck.com, that's S-E-A-D-E-K.com to learn more. It's time to give your boat what it deserves, and your boat deserves SeaDeck. 
So the official Pass the Handle day is coming gone, but did you guys know that unofficially Pass the Handle goes on all year long? Anytime is a good time to invite a friend on your boat and share the sport we all love. And how about taking their experience to the next level by setting up your boat with the latest speakers, towers, accessories, marine audio, and more from Roswell Marine. They've been doing it for over 20 years, and believe me when I tell you they know how to have fun, especially on the water. Roswell's motto is quality without compromise, and you know their products will perform reliably from the moment you install it and every day after that. Whatever you're looking for, be sure to use the dealer search function on their website to find the one closest to you. That website, again, is www.roswellmarine.com. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano. It's always great to catch up with Hunter Hansen, Double H. He's truly one of the most talented water skiers and watermen and water sports enthusiasts on the planet. And it's been an honor to watch his career evolve over the years. Following the interview, Hunter and I hit the lake. We rode a little bit on the trick ski, the disco, and even a little barefoot action. I did get some sweet clips, so go check that out on the Golden Mike Podcast Facebook page or my personal Instagram page where I try to keep the shred content solid. Speaking of evolving, Twin Lakes Corn Fest 2020 had to evolve this year in order to adapt to the current state of the world. While the in-person event has been postponed indefinitely, we've moved this year's athlete competition online. That's right, this year we're going virtual with our TL Cornfest hat trick, three trick line digital contest. Content has been rolling in and I have to say this has definitely been a summer of progression. Keep your eyes peeled as we get ready to drop submissions live to the public sometime this September. And for all of you wonderful spectators, corn lovers, and fanos out there, don't think we've forgotten about you. This year, we're holding our first ever TL Corn Fest Lake Lovers Challenge, and it's open to every single one of you. Yes, even you. All you got to do is share your summer with us. If you're having a summer lake adventure, cleaning up trash around your local waterways, trying a new type of water sport, or just having an epic shred session, Take photos, record some video, and share it with us by tagging TL Cornfest and using the hashtag Lake Lovers Challenge. We're going to award the top 10 submissions with prize packs from our sponsors and bragging rights as the best overall photo or video of the summer. The best advice if you want to win, have fun, be creative, and above all else, lake responsibly, and don't forget to post. To learn more about the official rules, check out our website at tlcornfest.com. Follow us on Facebook at Twin Lakes Cornfest and on Instagram at tlcornfest to keep up with the latest news. Well, it's time to wind it all up here. And an enormous thank you to my guest today and my good friend Hunter Hansen for joining us. And of course, thank you to the sponsors of this podcast for their continued support. 
Thanks to SeaDeck Marine Products, WSIA and Wake Responsibly, Roswell Marine, Active Water Sports, Masterline, Centurion Boats, O'Brien Ledwake Slingshot, Conley Radar, Skis, Boulder Boats, Ronix, Hyperlight Go Puck, and Midcoast Customs. Behind the scenes, a special thanks to Jane leaving the office, Arthur Shabashavich on copy, and Rich Walsh on sound. That's it. That's all for me, folks. And just a reminder, once again, follow the Golden Mike Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram. Check me out at Dano T. Mano. Message me there or at Golden Mike at noiseofthenorth.com. Now that you're done with the episode, please head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts to leave a five-star review. Again, I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. As always, I am the Noise of the North, Dan Lomano, and you can hear me next time right here on the Golden Mike Podcast.